This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as San Francisco's most popular fake mayor, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today, we're going to play an interview I just conducted with London Bree, the mayor of San Francisco. And no, I'm not trying to take her job, which is a tough one. We talked about homelessness, housing, inequality, jobs, and more. This interview was recorded in front of a live audience at Manny's, which is a community space in San Francisco's Mission District. Let's go there now to hear my interview with Mayor London Breed. Thank you. You just got back from something. You were Where were you just at? I was just at Grace Cathedral. We were having a solidarity concert um, for Notre Dame and just what happened there, just with the Paris people who live here. We have over 60,000 people who live in San Francisco that are from Paris and wow. uh, great musicians, the opera, the symphony, um, really heartfelt event with the council, uh, uh, the Consulate of uh, France and, and so many amazing people. So um, I had to sneak out of church. I felt kind of bad. <laughs> <laughs> I like, well, I you run guys it. remember the finger, right? When right. you walk. Okay, maybe that's just the black yeah, churches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I run out of churches actually before they fall down. So, um, so anyway, um, so uh, I'm so excited to have you here. I've been wanting to do a podcast with you and, a, and an interview with you, and live interviews are my favorite thing. We have a lot to talk about, we have a lot to cover. So, let's just go right in. Let's start talking about, where should we start with San Francisco? So many topics. Let's talk about how you feel about being mayor. I'll give you an easy one. How, how is it going so far? Uh, it's it's challenging, but I got to tell you, like sitting in um, Grace Cathedral today, I was looking up at the beautiful ceilings and just the windows and just thinking, wow, this is a beautiful facility. This is an amazing city. And I can't even believe that I'm mayor of the place that I was born and raised in. Right, right. It is like, that is really how I'm feeling. <laughs> so, so... When you think about getting that job, when you think thought about doing it, it was an unusual, you know, the circumstances to get here has been, recently has been unusual. What did you think your biggest job was? Because one of the, th- obviously there's the issues around, so we'll get into homelessness, we'll get into housing, we'll get into all the big issues. But what did you think of as your biggest job? I think my biggest job for me, like, because this is why I got into politics in the first place, is 
honestly, to really change the future of San Francisco to make sure that people who sadly grow up in poverty don't have to have the kinds of experiences that I had to have growing up in San Francisco. You know, I just think of prevention, prevention, prevention. How do I stop something bad from happening so that people can have, you know, a better future, a better opportunity. And so I felt like my biggest job was, you know, to really address that with the decisions that we make, Mm -hmm. whether it's policy decisions, whether it's how we invest our resources um, in this city, um, and also making good decisions. And, And of course, not providing any false promises that something is actually going to effectively work when we know that it isn't. And so being realistic about what we can do and making sure we make the right investments and doing things differently so that we can get better results. I mean, that's really how I felt about being, you know, an elected official, a public servant and all the work that I continue to do um, in the communities that, that I serve. Um, So that's what I felt my job was. How do you assess San Francisco then right now? How would you honestly assess the city of San Francisco right now? Um, You know, I I will say that, um, you know, it's it's heartbreaking to uh, see how much it's changed. Um, so I, I, as I said, I grew up here and I actually grew up, you know, in public housing and poverty in a neglected community. And I also feel like, you know, I, I see, you know, just really the changes in the communities. Like I walk even in the Western edition and I feel like I grew up here, but I don't really recognize my, my own community anymore. And I also see, um, just more homelessness, I think, than, even when I was growing up here, because, you know, honestly, there were there were, you know, affordable places for people to live. And back then, too, there were more families here. And so even though um, a lot of us didn't have a lot of money, we still, you know, had a lot of family members who lived with us. So there were places for people to live. And it's just changed a lot. I mean, sadly, there's always been challenges with homelessness, but now, you know, it's it's difficult for people to find housing. I mean, I was just talking to one of my friends about like the public housing I grew up in. And some of you might have grew up here in San Francisco across the street from the Pink Palace. And it was called Plaza East and it was nicknamed OC, Out of Control Projects. And if you weren't African-American, you didn't walk through where I lived. And I saw someone pushing a baby stroller Mm -hmm. and riding a bike. And I just was like, whoa, like this is it's changed significantly. And I think Part of the challenge is, as it changed, you know, it kind of pushed out a lot of people and also left behind a lot of people. Um, and, And the kinds of policies that I think you know, we put forth in San Francisco. Some have been been good policies that have helped people, but in other cases, there have been unintended consequences that, you know, have created what I think, you know, is a real significant divide. Right. Um, people have talked a lot about, you know, income inequality. I mean, that's not new. Mm-hmm. Income inequality has existed, you know, I know definitely, you know, in San Francisco uh, since as long as I can remember. And part of, you know, what we have to do in addressing the challenges, you know, that we face as a city is to also remember and start thinking about young people now. And that's why, you know, I'm pushing for uh, 
providing through opportunities for all paid internships for all high school students um, because we have to make sure that you know that's not the difference between sadly what happened in my community um, and I keep going back to this but like it wasn't hard to go sell drugs in the Tenderloin or even in my neighborhood it wasn't hard to go downtown and you know steal things and then sell those things for money like people in my community sadly did things that landed them behind bars and in terrible situations because they needed money. And so I want to cut back on the barriers to accessing money so that people are able to generate enough money to take care of themselves. So let's start with homelessness. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you're big, can, you consider it your biggest problem? Because now it's, it's, definitely, it's, it's across the entire city. And obviously across they were the all, entire state of California. California, absolutely. Yes. It's obviously increased everywhere. I can tell you in my neighborhoods, it's never been. Yeah. I mean, there's tents on every street. It's bad for the citizens. It's bad for the homeless. It's bad for police. It seems like, how do you, do you consider it your number one problem or is it just the visible problem of other things happening? I would say it's the number one priority. Okay. Um, it's, it's important in terms, because yes, it's, it's more visible, um, but also um, there are real challenges. If it were easy, as easy as, you know, helping to get people housed, mm-hmm. um, that, that's an easy thing to do in comparison to trying to help people who struggle with mental illness and substance use disorder and a number of challenges. I mean, just working with, you know, some of these individuals, which I have even before I was mayor, to try and get people into supportive services is a real challenge. It's complicated. And the reality is we don't have all of the tools that we need in terms of our laws, especially with our state law, that allows us to really help people the way that I know we can in San Francisco. So to say we're going to solve this problem, it's it's not realistic without changes to our conservatorship laws for people who are struggling with mental illness. Senator Scott Weiner is working on a bill right now in, in Sacramento, but that is not going far enough. Our jails and our hospitals are being used to cycle people in and out. You see it. You see it all over San Francisco. Sadly, someone who is clearly struggling and the police come. The police may take them to the hospital or take them to, you know, jail, depending on the situation. 72 hours later, after a 5150 hold, they're right back in the same place, you know, doing the same thing. And we're wondering, what is the city doing? Why can't the city do something to stop that person from taking off all their clothes and running in the middle of the street where they almost got hit by a car or all of the things that we are seeing in our city more than we ever have before. And so part of it is we need some major changes, major mental what health would you reform. Like? What, would you, what would you want as mayor? So first of all, I hired a new mental health uh, reform director to look at ways in which we can improve the number of mental health stabilization beds we have, wraparound supportive services, and just really shining a light on mental health reform in our healthcare system, period. Um, we are starting that on the local level. But what I would like to see on a statewide level is I want to see changes to state policy, which give us the ability to really um, enhance our conservatorship laws so that we can provide a guardian who can make decisions for someone who clearly can't make decisions for themselves. That is definitely something that's really needed. So that would entail them staying longer in these facilities? Because that was one of the, you know, during the Reagan administration when everybody was turned out. Yeah, and it's not about 
a time, it's not about putting a time limit on staying in a facility because it's not one kind of mental illness. Right. People are struggling with, you know, various layers of, of, of challenges, which in some instances may require that they go into a facility and they may stay a short period of time and then transition into housing, like the Richardson Apartments, where we have wraparound supportive services for people who are mentally ill, but still need someone to help them and support them. And they, you know, live their lives and they go out and do what they do, but they also have support, like family members or friends or social workers. But then there are other folks who may need a longer time period. Sadly, you know, the psychosis caused now from this this craziness with all of the drug use, mm -hmm. um, it's it's sometimes not even reversible. Right. So how do you help someone like that? Part of it is, you know, you don't lock them up and throw away the key. Like they need medical help and support. The appropriate diagnosis, the appropriate plan of action. And again, we don't have the tools. How do you think about policing that? I mean, that. just how do you think about policing? I was just thinking on my way home today, I saw three people using heroin, just walking. Mm -hmm. Just It was like just walking from yeah. down in downtown San Francisco. And it was common. I've seen it over and over again. I think most people have that experience anywhere you are in the city now yeah. at all. How do you instruct the police to behave in these situations? So I think for the most part, you know, the police's job is if, if someone unfortunately is committing a crime, uh, their responsibility is to address it, whether it's a citation, whether it's an arrest um, or what have you. And that's what, what their role is. And the challenge is, you know, like, for example, yeah, we all sadly, you know, see people out in the streets shooting up. Um, but when you think about it, that's not arresting someone who's shooting up is not going to help them. Um, so part of one of the other things that I think is important, yes, we need to crack down on drug dealing and address those issues. But, you know, how many years has it been? And, and, and that continues to be a problem. So the fact is, sadly, people who struggle with substance use disorder, um, they end up with drugs. And then what happens? You know, we don't provide, I think, a good plan around treatment. Mm -hmm. So part of what we're doing here in San Francisco is our uh, Department of Public Health employees have ways to provide this new drug. And please don't ask me to pronounce it, but um, they're out there and they can provide treatment on demand. And one of the reasons why I um, support safe injection sites and want to make sure that we have safe injection sites here in San Francisco is because, you know, sadly, once someone gets a hold of their drugs, you know, I want them to have a safe place to be. So they're number one, not overdosing. Number two, it's not out in the streets. Number three, the needles aren't everywhere in the streets. But most important, I want to be able to be the place that someone who's struggling with addiction can get help. So that's the place that they're going to go and they're going to say, well, you know, Derwin, he helped me last time. He, he welcomes me with a smile. That's who I need to go to. And we need to meet people where they are as soon as they tell us that they're ready to get help. We need to be able to provide that support. What's the reaction from uh, citizens to this, to the, the idea of helping people? It, has it gotten harder? I mean, these are harder times. You know, the whole country has this sort of 
helping tougher, people in what capacity? Not, not help, like moving. Other other municipalities have done much tougher things. Yes. This is not what San Francisco will ever do, presumably, and should well, not. Well, I think it, there's a balance. I mean, you know, what is being, you know, tough on crime really done for us in terms of just locking people up and throwing away the key? I mean, I think that, you know, we need to focus a lot on rehabilitation. We need to focus on understanding that just because, you know, we don't like what something is doing, that all of a sudden they're going to disappear or what they're doing is going to stop. And so just looking at different ways. I'm not saying that, you know, people who, you know, commit really horrible crimes should not, there should not be consequences for, for that kind of um, thing. I'm just saying that we need to look at things differently. How do we provide the kind of support that's going to hopefully help this person and help change this person or, you know, get them on the right path in some capacity or to do something different. So, for example, um, you know, we are really cracking down on the drug dealing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we take the drugs, we take the money, and then folks, sadly, are, are right back on the streets mm -hmm. um, doing the same thing. But it doesn't mean that we stop, right? right. Um, because the other side of that is, you know, trying to offer people support, trying to offer people employment opportunities. So talk about the image of San Francisco, because I think, is there more, do you feel more pressure from others, from some citizens to clean it up? I mean, did you think that was your job? Because I think you, there's, when you look nationally, they're always pointing to San Francisco as sort of, uh, sort of an Armageddon-like situation. I've watched different news things seem to write, write it like that. Like, yeah, How do you look and, at that as man? You know, I take it personal because, right. like I said, I grew up here and, you know, my grandmother, like she said, just because we live in the projects doesn't mean that we don't take care of our community. She would and I would go kicking and screaming. She would make us clean up the front, pick up trash, take the water and the soap and clean up the stairs. And that kind of, you know, stuck with me. It, I always felt that, you know, uh, a sense of pride in, in taking care of and cleaning up my community. So it's not about, you know, necessarily um, what other people are saying. It's about what are we doing as a city? Right. No matter what your circumstances are, we also have to take responsibility. Yes, we can pour millions of dollars, which we are, into pit stops where people can use the restroom and millions of dollars into cleaning up, you know, the poop and picking up the needles and cleaning up the trash. 311 has been an incredible tool that people can call to get things cleaned up and picked up. But ultimately, we have to start changing the behavior of all of our citizens. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just homeless people who are throwing crap on the ground. I mean, I've confronted people out on the streets who just walk in and had a sandwich and just finished a couple of bites and threw it on. The, and I'm like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. What are you doing? Right. I mean, they're How like, they like, oh, I'm that? sorry. It, you, oh, I'm sorry, Mayor. Well, you sort of, when it's, you start. But, <laughs> but <laughs> you sort of do that once it starts to get messy. Like, do you know what I mean? People, it, it, it leads to, you know, it's the broken glass theory. Like, the idea that if it's messy, what the hell? It creates that. I think part of it is... You I agree. Know, I, I chase people around my neighborhood all the time. Too. Yeah. I, 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 think, I think we all have to... Like, people are so caught up in their gadgets and everything right. else that we don't we'll always get to the techies, talk so. to one another. Right. And sometimes people are like, well, it's not my problem. Or yeah. you never know how somebody's going to react because right. it's... You, you just never know. And, you know, for me, I, I just, you know, it's maybe it's my grandmother and me because even when I was running an arts organization, the kids, like, they're like, oh, you better pick that up. Here comes London, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. So it's, it's, it's like, and then these kids grew up in this environment 
where they felt it was their responsibility to clean right. up their neighborhood. And yeah. so I think, you know, part of it is we have to work on, and this is something, um, you know, I'm talking to our departments about, in addition to our clean teams and all the things we do and the fix it team and, and things and going into communities, we have to have conversations with people. We have to work on changing behavior. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have this whole thing around a bag of urine in my neighborhood. This guy mm. always leaves it. I'm like, you have that bag of urine, you throw it out if you're going to do that and stuff like that. It's a really mm. interesting thing that you have to, it's true. It's the Castro. It's every day. Or there's trees. I mean, trees, that's yeah. like fertilizer. Uh, okay. <laughs> just turn just turn away from now, the streets. You know what? I don't think that poop mac was good for San Francisco. That... Well, the poop is a whole nother ball game. All right. Okay. Yes. Explain that ball game then. Yes. How you... I mean, the, the, the poop is, is a whole nother challenge. And, mm-hmm. and, I've seen people where there's a pit stop a block away Mm -hmm. and, you know, yeah. And it's like, sir, there's a pit stop like right there where you can use the bathroom Mm -hmm. and it's there all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've had those kinds of conversations. Again, it it goes back to behavior Mm -hmm. because sadly it's human poop is dog poop. It's I've seen people like, not pick up after their their pets, mm-hmm. um, which is a whole nother issue. And it's it's just really important that, of course, we have our poop patrol that's out there, mm-hmm. you know, in our hot spots. And and we've seen that the, is some job. But the, 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 and 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 can I tell you, I met one of the guys, and you know, he he whispered to me, he's like, "Mayor, I'm your poop patrol," and he was. <laughs> And he said to me, he said, I grew up in the city. He was like, and I was like, so, you know, he was like, yeah, I'm out here. I'm talking to people like, you know, I'm out here cleaning up, but, you know, they got to take care of the city, too. He was really, you know, proud of what he was doing to take care of the city. We're going to take a quick break now. We'll be back after this with the mayor of San Francisco, who has the best name ever for a mayor, London Breed. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. So let's talk about paying for this in affordable housing. Let's start with affordable housing. There's, there's been so many stories and controversies around the Embarcadero thing. You appeared at, a, at an event the other night. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, was, it got testy, I think, a little bit. Yeah. Talk about that. You had, you had changed the idea of how many beds. A lot of people are against this idea of putting these facilities in these neighborhoods, especially without full cooperation of the neighborhood. Yeah. And and the thing is, um, I think we all have to share in on what we know we need are more shelter beds and more housing. And we can't, again, say we want the problem to be addressed 
and not be open to solutions that we know effectively work, mm -hmm. um, regardless of what neighborhood they're in. Um, I think that's been a real challenge with San Francisco. It's like as soon as you want to build something across the street, it's like, wait a minute, hold on, not by my place. And mm -hmm. it, it is just, it's gotten us nowhere. Um, things have gotten worse and projects, housing projects have, have been stalled. I mean, we've focused on jobs and building the economy, but when it comes to housing, everyone wants housing. But as soon as, you know, a couple of units, you know, just one, one story too high gets placed in the wrong place and you know all craziness breaks loose this is and, the shadowing i mean it is it is non-stop you know and I just think with this shelter, um, it's going to really help and change and save lives like some of the other shelters do as well. And it won't be easy, but we're committed to, you know, working with the neighborhood, um, starting off at a smaller number with the, with it the was ability. 25 beds yeah, to start with. We have the ability to go up to 200 beds mm -hmm. and, you know, hopefully um, like what happened in Dogpatch, they were um, opposed to the navigation center that was built there. Mm -hmm. And we did it. And in fact, before the lease was up with the port, they went to the port and said, look, we support extending the lease. And so it's still there. And so I, I think that's just an example. We have to prove to them that this will work. Um, all of the things that we, you know, say that these things can do, these navigation centers can do in order to, you know, help transition people into permanent housing. Um, we're proving that with, with each person we, we help. But we have to have places for people to go. Mm -hmm. And we need more shelter beds. And it's a, it's a really really complex, challenging problem. It's not, again, as simple as, you know, you have a unit, which is difficult to find in San Francisco as it is, but it's, it's, it's really challenging because you got to meet people where they are, figure out what the challenge is and provide them the wraparound support to help them transition into what will be hopefully a permanent housing situation. And then housing, not just for the homeless, but for teachers and and firefighters and police and things like that. You, the shadow, the, the, the thing around the shadowing. Yeah. Talk about that. So uh, it wasn't, you know, the CEQA and the whole shadowing issue yeah. was just used to stop mm -hmm. this housing because, you know, a lot of times, sadly, um, you have organizations who um, feel like they want more. And the, the challenge is it's a balance between, you know, giving more and also losing the housing, period. Um, more affordable housing. Yes, we all want more affordable housing. You know, more community benefits. Yes, we all want community benefits. But when it's all said and done, you know, if, 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 if it doesn't happen, then that means those units don't happen. And that continues to contribute to high cost of housing because, again, we're not building enough housing fast. We're not building it fast enough. But what about SB 50? That's So I support SB 50. And I know it's very this controversial. Is, this um, is, again, uh, near uh, transit. This is about, you know, really building, you know, um, more density along transit corridors. And I actually, um, years ago, introduced legislation to do this in, in, in my district when I was supervisor for District 5. Um, it didn't increase height, it just increased density. So um, remove parking minimums and, and a number of other things that would, for example, there was one project without even increasing the height based on the old zoning of this particular property, they were going to build 16 
um, really large units and they were going to be rentals. And based on the changes that I made to, um, tr you know, transit corridors, NCT, neighborhood commercial transit district legislation, um, they basically were able to reformat the project without a height increase and, and build 66 units, you know, of one, two, and studio uh, units, which are, you know, smaller units, but more affordable without the parking minimums and a number of other changes to this particular housing. And so it, you know, it was, you know, uh, information was put out there that, you know, I'm increasing the height and shadowing and all of this, and it wasn't even true. And, and, and the project still hasn't been built. It still delays, and this is like five or six years later. So how do you remove delays? One of the things is this, your proposal to put things on public lands. This idea to build affordable housing on public lands. So the, San Francisco is such a, a complex city. I know people wonder why there's like all these tall buildings downtown. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, everything is like on the floor over right. here, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and there's it, no city like it. Other cities are so dense. It, 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 it has a lot to do with, you know, our, our, our laws that were created, you know, forever and a day ago that are just really outdated. And what I tell people who live on the West side is, you know, they, they talk about neighborhood character. We don't want high rises on the west side of town. We want, you know, to protect neighborhood character. And I'm a native. I, I know what they're talking about and I respect what they're saying. And this is not about tearing down sound housing to, to you know, basically build more. This is about taking underutilized properties and creating an opportunity for housing. And I say, hey, do you did you raise kids in San Francisco? Yeah, I raised kids in San Francisco. Do your kids still live here? Well, no, my kids don't still live here. And I think about my friends and so many of my family members who no longer live in San Francisco because we have not invested enough in building more housing. And so getting creative, I mean, people are saying, well, there's not enough land. There's like opportunities all over if we just open our eyes to explore what is possible. So the Pink Palace, which I brought up before, became Rosa Parks Senior Homes. So right in front of Rosa Parks Senior Homes is this kind of underutilized property that was used for parking and some other stuff. Well, we built 98 new senior housing units right in front of Rosa Parks with that property, right there, that little swither property, really nice accessible units for seniors. Um, and so that's an that's a opportunity. We purchased a McDonald's site on Hayton Stanyon um, by reaching out to the owner and, and asking them to consider it. We're going to build 100% affordable housing on that site. Um, there are so many opportunity sites in San Francisco. And what I want us to do is not only get creative about those sites, but completely rezone all public property, not including parks, so that it's easier to build on, easier on public land. Easier meaning it doesn't land. take years and years. It doesn't take Just an additional two years to get right. housing built um, when, you know, once we say, look, we got this parking lot, we can build housing, it's not zoned how for much, housing. How much acreage do you have to do that? Have you done a, a study of what you can build on? We have, we have some information, but we don't have the details around, you know, this is all the property that we can build on. We're just starting down that, that roadmap. So that would be on sites like that where the city or, can't. Or the site, like, for example, um, the school district has a site that they're building at the old Francis Scott Key. Mm -hmm. um, it's an old school that's been shut down for some time. A couple of years ago, 
the city and the school district agree we're going to build 100% teacher housing. Mm -hmm. And there's an additional two years of process because it's not zoned for housing. Mm -hmm. So it's like taking properties that we know we could potentially build housing on, 100% affordable housing, um, and making sure that we cut back you know, that years of process so that we can get that housing built faster. So how do you cut back on that years of process? Well, part of it is what I'm proposing to put an ordinance on the ballot mm -hmm. um, to completely, you know, rezone all public uh, property so that we cut that process out of the equation completely. It doesn't cut the housing process, period, in terms of the permits Safety. and all the things you need to do and approvals you need to get. It just the rezoning of the property, which can be very lengthy. Right. And what about other things to allow housing to be built quicker? Obviously, you want safety in San Francisco, earthquakes, yes. everything else. What What is the thing that's in the way most from your perspective? I think there needs to be some reforms to CEQA because I think there's a lot of abuse with people who are looking to stop projects because they want to protect their views or they want to honestly get more money for their selves or their organizations. I mean, I, I've seen some really horrible things, but then there are people who genuinely are concerned about their communities too, and they want to make sure that someone is held accountable to invest in the community if they're going to build in the community. Right. So there's a wide range of things, but I, I discovered that, you know, bureaucracy is probably the biggest challenge um, getting through uh, the city's process. I mean, for example, accessory dwelling units, uh, in-law units. Uh, we passed legislation back in 2012 or 13. Uh, to make it legal and easier. And it was taking people still like almost two years to get one little in-law in their unit built up to code. And so when I first got in the office, I put out a directive. I made all the departments who work on this issue come together. Um, they were given the directive to clear the backlog within the six month time period. And for any new permits, it would, you know, they would need to deal with those within four month time period. And they clear the backlog. They've dealt with a number of new uh, units permits, and we've been able to do more in that short time period than we have over the whole three years of the program. And we're even taking it a step further to waive all the Department of Building Inspection fees for uh, accessory dwelling units to encourage more people to use this as a tool for housing. And, and we're talking about over 900 units uh, that could be in the pipeline, um, but they, it has to be made easier for these small property owners to choose to use this as a way uh, to add more housing to our housing stock. So let's talk about tech then, because that's been, had an impact. How do you assess your relationship with tech? tech? And we'll talk about the IPOs that are coming and the wealthy people I think, moving um, around. Well, I think, you know, it's 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 These IPOs might not go that well, by the way. But. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's challenging because... Um, you know, like we, we were at a point in San Francisco where it was all about the jobs, right? And so there were a lot of decisions made to um, really boost the economy. I mean, we, we're really lucky. We have like a 3.5% unemployment rate. And, and on the flip side of that, you know, as we created between 2010 and 2015, like, 
you know, eight jobs, we, we only created one new unit of housing. Mm -hmm. And there was this super influx of so many people who were then descending upon San Francisco and our housing stock was not prepared mm -hmm. uh, to deal with that. And I think that has been really what the challenge has been because people have been pushed out, people have been displaced, the prices have skyrocketed, the communities have changed. And it is, it is really like how things happened. Um, they happened so fast um, that we were not prepared to just really, you know, at least try to protect, you know, people in their existing housing and, and, and really also provide opportunities right. for San Franciscans to even be a part of this new, right. new economy. Right. You could say we were not prepared or we were in, not you in particular, but the, the politicians, some of them were in the pockets of these tech people. I mean, you could that that was a, you know that was leveled at Ed Lee. It was leveled at a lot of people. The idea that these companies got to come here and get all kind of gimmies, and the people get to buy the houses and, and jack up prices. How do you look at your relationship? How do you look about what happened there? Because it didn't just happen. It they, they they were it was allowed to happen. Just this similar way, what's going on with social media now didn't just happen. They were allowed to behave that way. And that's why we are where we are with social media today. How do you look at your relationship with tech? How do you think of the tech community here? Because it's the biggest industry. It's one of the biggest employers. It may be well, the, big, I, it is the biggest employer. I, I think that, you know, there there's a disconnect um, between um, tech and San Franciscans. Mm -hmm. um, there's not necessarily a disconnect between um, people who come here to work for in the tech world, but there is a disconnect between a lot of San Franciscans and, and what actually happens in the tech world mm -hmm. and how the tech world could actually be, you know, better supporters of the community. Mm -hmm. um, and so I see my role... Talk about that disconnect. What do you mean? So, for example, um, the percentage of women who work in the tech industry, the percentage of people of color, specifically, mm -hmm. you know, African-Americans who work in the tech industry, industry. Yeah. Um, there's no direct outreach to these communities or no like kind of bridge to really try and diversify the community. Yeah, we, I've um, noticed that. Yes. And so, <laughs> so I, I, I have very serious concerns about that. And, mm -hmm. and part of um, what, you know, I believe my role is to be a bridge builder and to also hold them accountable and to work with them to open the doors and provide these opportunities. So that's the, in the jobs area. In the jobs area, yes. Right. What about them moving, the, the people who work there moving into the city and changing the face? What do you think it's done? How do you look at it? Besides so, jacking up prices. Yeah, so part of it is, and, and I'll tell you, um, and it wasn't necessarily a tech company, um, but I had a company in my office who uh, wanted to expand. Um, mm -hmm. And usually most mayors would be really excited about that. Yeah. Um, but I said, so where's your workforce? Where are your additional 400 employees going to come from? Mm -hmm. Where are they going to live? Like, mm -hmm. I, I need to have a clear understanding. And I think, right. you know, that's, that's the new conversation. It's mm -hmm. not like we need to make a video to attract people. So um, you weren't in the Amazon thing? Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I got, I got enough to worry about. Um, yeah. so, so I think it's, it's really changing how, <laughs> how we work with companies. You know, it's not to say people aren't invited, right? Mm -hmm. But it's to say, if you're going to expand, there has to be some accountability. Where are your employees going to live? Where are they going to come from? 
how are you going to not change, you know, the continue to change the fabric of of San Francisco? How are you as a company going to invest more in San Francisco? Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, there's a different kind of conversation we have to start. Mm -hmm. You know, yes, it's about making sure um, people are paying their fair share. But, you know, we also have to make sure that there's a level of accountability that ties, you know, whatever it is that they are doing um, in terms of increasing their their capacity to, you know, our transportation system, our housing, and how they play a role in that. Because so how, how do you do that? Now, one of the ways was this recent thing that Mark Benioff passed that some of the tech companies about taxing them. And you came out I'm somewhat confused about where you came out. I'll yes. be honest with you. So what I happened? I came out against, uh, against Prop it. C. And, and let me just say this. You know, it, again, it's not as simple as, okay, anyone who has, you know, gross receipts of over $50 million, right. you know, should pay this tax. Because it's one thing to, you know, a Salesforce company who basically spends more than that on office supplies. Mm-hmm. But what happens to... No, that's kombucha, but go ahead. Yes. <laughs> But 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 here's the thing. San Francisco is more than just tech companies. Right. We have manufacturing, we have retail, and and when I think about like something as simple as Macy's, right? So many of my friends grew up and still live in affordable housing and work for Macy's. Macy's, you know, is closing their stores. They fit within this category, but their expenses compared to the expenses of, you know, a sales force are two different things. And then, you know, they're this corporation that it's like, okay, we're not making any money in San Francisco. So we're going to just start closing these stores. And that's what they started to do, closing their stores, reducing the number of workers, moving some of them to dot com. Some of those people are older and not prepared to work in those particular industries. And so it's not a one size fits all. You know, you can't just look at, okay, you know, uh, uh, $50 million plus, there has to be, you know, different categories of, of taxes for different industries based on also what their expenses are, mm-hmm. you know, based on the kind of workforce they have and, and, and how they contribute to the economy. So those are the kinds of things that, you know, like I was thinking about. The popular thing, yes, would have been to take jump the on the bandwagon and say, yeah, I want to take all your money. But right. I, I also have seen San Francisco change and, mm-hmm. and and, and lose certain, you know, businesses, lose certain kinds of people, job opportunities. And, and we, we need a diverse workforce. We need diverse job opportunities. And this is not necessarily, um, you know, a one size fits all. Right. It wasn't a one size fits all proposition. So that's why I proposed, you know, legislation that would allow companies uh, because we have to collect the tax. Um, anyway, so we're collecting the tax. We can't spend it until the whole lawsuit is settled. Right. But, you know, if a company wants to um, opt in and allow us to use the money now um, and, right. and some without expecting to get it Salesforce back, has, right? um, which there are some companies who can afford to do that. And I will be reaching out to other companies, you know, to ask them to do that, especially because we know most likely there are a significant number that can probably you know, afford to allow that money to be used. But then there are other companies who may not be able to. And I, I think that was more of the issue for me is, you know, again, changing San Francisco in that way, assuming everyone in that category is tech companies mm-hmm. and not really looking at, you know, the bigger picture of all the various industries that exist right. in our city. It'd be nice if you just take their money, right? Mm-hmm. Just their- <laughs> Sure. If they want, yes. 
Why not? <laughs> What's your relationship with Mark Benioff like now? We have a good relationship. Yeah, you know, right. I mean, we we fight it out, but mm-hmm. um, and we have the conversations. The thing about Mark is, you know, he 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 loves and cares about the city just like I do, and so we really connect on that that level. Um, and we both have a, a passion for wanting to address this issue. And you know, we we sometimes have differences of opinions about mm-hmm. you know how we might want to address those issues. But I, I value you know his 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 work with Salesforce and what he's done in San Francisco, his contributions to just supporting so many amazing initiatives in San Francisco, uh, the hospital, UCSF, and and a number of other things he continues to support. His love for the arts and everything. So it it you know. He is he is an important part of San Francisco, important part of the fabric of San Francisco, just like I am. And and our relationship will always be solid despite our, our disagreement so on this one. What, I'm going to finish with the tech companies. What would you like from them? What would you like them to give you? Because I more do more money, th- more money. Right? <laughs> <laughs> they have a little more money. Um, one of the things that's interesting that I find interesting is that when you think about corporate citizenship and, and over the years, like Wells Fargo or whoever the banks were p- part of this a part of the fabric of the city, a lot of the tech companies don't do not feel that way to me or they don't feel like yeah. So what what are the precise things you'd want besides the money? Well, I, I think that we... Uh, well, I always use the expression, they're so poor, all they have is money. But, well, I, I think part of it is being a part of the solution with <laughs> helping with the challenges of housing and not just, you know, think that they could expand without having a real plan for their employees and where those employees are going to come from. So that's something that even now we're working to, you know, begin conversations around those kinds of things. So I think that's important. Um, I also think that um, contributing to um, just really the kinds of resources and programs and housing like opportunity. and and the things that we're doing will, will make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as you know, uh, Mark Benioff is, is, you know, I asked him for a couple of million dollars for uh, um, a building that I, I really wanted to get. It was on the market. It was ready to go. And um, he, what? Said, what? he said, yes, it's, it's move on housing. It's like, you know, where people have their own restrooms and, you know, that sort of thing. Cause a lot of the places we, we, sublease for um, formerly homeless individuals, they have a shared bathroom. And so this is kind of step up housing in terms of allowing people to have the dignity of having their own mm-hmm. own restroom. And so he he immediately supported that project. Um, so I'm, I'm looking for more support. I'm looking for, um, you know, more um, access for people in San Francisco and part of my Opportunities for All initiative where we provide paid internships for all high school students. I not only want them to contribute, which they have, but I want them to provide, um, I want them to invite internships in their businesses and not where, you know, the kids are kind of pushed to the side. I want these to be meaningful internships so that they learn about this industry, about what's possible in engineering, HR, or anything. There's so many layers. There's design and and all this stuff. I'm not completely familiar myself, but there's like all these different things that they can learn in this industry or any other industry in San Francisco. So I want them to be committed um, to really investing in our future in San Francisco. That That's an important do part of it like as well. Do you feel like they are? Have you reached, who do you have relationship with? Mark, who else? Um, so there's a, a bunch of, I don't necessarily have relationships with a lot of the maybe people in charge, but a lot of Jack their Dorsey. community. I know Jack, but yeah. I haven't, we haven't hung out or well, he's anything. He's been hanging out with Preston. <laughs> 
He's been hanging out <laughs> with President Trump coffee recently. Yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I can help you with that. Yes. Um, and and part of it Zuckerberg, is Zuckerberg. He, he has a house. It's near my I house. I met him too. You know, yeah. I haven't had coffee with him. Um, I actually met with his wife Priscilla, which was really cool because we were talking about her initiative, which I think is absolutely incredible, where they are raising money to provide. Uh, support for housing, like gap funding. There was a project where we had 250 units and we just needed 10 million more dollars to get it done. And and this is the kind of initiative that they're pushing where these projects that are ready and just need this gap funding that will help uh, formerly homeless individuals and families and so on and so forth, this could provide an opportunity uh, for support. So we were talking about those initiatives, which she's, you know, getting off the ground, which I'm, I'm super excited about. Um, but for the most part, Brian Chesky? Um, I I met him. A lot of these people, we talk on Twitter. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we, <laughs> we don't necessarily hang out or talk right. in person. Yeah. They're not that much fun. So, um, <laughs> but I'm thinking of Brian because of Airbnb and also the controversy so around that. So I will that. say about Airbnb, um, um, I don't, they're, they're I don't go necessarily know Brian point. and we don't engage in, in conversation, but... Um, the folks who work for him have been incredible supporters of opportunities for all. They not only contributed to the program, but they are going to provide paid internships where the kids make more than minimum wage. And they're really learning about that industry and what's going on there. So they've been a, you know, they had some challenges, of course, in the past. And, and we have finally got that industry under control. But they are rolling up their sleeves uh, to be better community partners, which mm-hmm. I definitely appreciate. Mm-hmm. And again, w- when you think about, say, the impact of Airbnb and the housing, they, he, they've wrangled that company, which is going public at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, they've wrangled with cities across the country, including San Francisco, around yeah. rules. Yeah, and and I think part of it is again is same thing with Uber. Same the thing. The challenge of, of of San Francisco as a kind of bureaucratic you know, city, not necessarily keeping up with the changes in technology in, right. a, in a way, all of a sudden it's like Uber and Lyft and Airbnb and scooters and right. <laughs> all these technologies that just descended on San Francisco. Yeah. And, you know, we were, we, we have not done a good job. We're, we're reacting to right. these industries rather than being proactive and, and really getting them to come to us from the onset, which is what I am trying to do in terms of developing a better relationship, you know, it's it's like, I need you to come to us before you do something that's going to impact the public. Yeah, they don't tend to do that. <laughs> that's yeah. not their jam. Yes. Yeah, I always, uh, I used to, my big joke is that San Francisco is assisted living for millennials um, in all those <laughs> services that they bring them. And, but San Francisco is the experiment place for the, all of this stuff. Well, I, I get, I mean, it was for the scooters, but we yeah. scooped them up real quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love scooters, you know. I love them too because you, you ride? Can ride them in a dress. Do you, do, you, do you ride? Wait, do you ride scooters in a dress? I have. Um, when they first came out, I, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna admit that I was really excited about them, but I didn't realize that um, they didn't do what they were supposed to do. They just start putting them on the streets, and I was like, "Oh wow, it's a scooter!" And one of the young folks that I know was like, "Here, you want a ride?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'll take a ride." Okay. But I was like, "Wait a minute." How did this happen? And what do they do? <laughs> do they have a permit? What's going on? Right. Wait a minute, I'm mayor. I can do something about that. We're going to take another break now. We'll be back after this with Mayor of San Francisco, London Breed. 
Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Last week, Kanye West accused one of the biggest Twitch streamers of being an industry plant. It's an idea that comes up so often on platforms like TikTok and elsewhere. You see people who have blown up seemingly overnight, and the question is, who's behind them, right? That's what everyone wants to know. Tipping the scales and pulling the lever to make them seemingly the next it thing on the internet. This week on Power User, is it even possible to create an industry plant on the internet? And if so, how? I have just a few more questions, then we get questions from the audience. When you think of those things, I think sometimes I always think that San Francisco should be the city of the future, where all these things are actually being experimented on. I don't know if you think of it that way. Like, do you imagine like all these kind of things should happen first in San Francisco? If you because th- this is where they're born. I, I, do you do you look at it that way? Well. I'm always, I think San Francisco has always been willing to try new things and and, and be the place to experiment. But I also think there's, you know, responsibility that comes with that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, for example, like, yeah, we're excited about different modes of transportation and having scooters and access to scooters is great. But what about safety? And what about permitting? And what it happens if everyone who makes a scooter all of a sudden puts their scooters everywhere, all over the sidewalk? I mean, so there has to be um, some level of accountability mm-hmm. and some sort of regulation and, you know, just a way to make it work. And, you know, from my perspective, you know, and this is what I'm, I'm, I'm really, you know, pushing companies to do. Don't make us come after you. Come to us and and talk to us about what you're proposing so that we can do it in a responsible way. Yeah. Otherwise, look what happened. Like, again, I go back to the scooters. You know, everyone had to compete. There's all these companies. Mm -hmm. I think there were two companies selected. We're gradually rolling them out and letting them increase the number of scooters that they put out there. But... You know, it took us, you know, a long time to get to that point when if they had come to us in the but, beginning. But, you know, you can look at Uber and they did it and it worked for them. And they're about to go public at $120 billion valuation. Yeah, and that's another one that needs to be addressed. So right. we, we got a we got a tax that's going to be on the ballot, uh, the TNC tax that's yeah. coming up in, in November to get, you know, rideshare companies to pay their fair share. And and part of it is we need to make sure that we everyone is paying in terms of congestion and all the other, right. you know, things that we have to deal with. We have to people want us to fix the potholes. They want us to make sure the streets are safe. And, you know, I know we love convenience, but um, convenience is is quite challenging and it's taxing on our city. And right. I think there's a balance. I mean, there were limits to the number of taxis that could be on the street at any given time. But the flip side of that is, you know, the west side of our city and far areas of our city didn't always have easy access to 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 taxis. Mm-hmm. So where's the balance? And and with this particular industry, 
um, and the challenges with state law, it has made it really difficult for us to um, push for regulations. But here's an opportunity where we could at least uh, generate money that's going to help with muni, that's going to help with our infrastructure, and, and that's going to be important. Do you ever imagine those services as they expand and they're going to do buses, Uber's going to do buses, Lyft is working on certain things, taking over public transportation? How would you look at that? Well, let me just say that um, from my perspective, you know, and this is what I, I try to push for. I want us to be a city where we're, we're using the least amount of cars as we possibly can, understanding that there are some people who definitely need their vehicles, but having people on bikes and scooters and walking and on public transportation means those people aren't in vehicles. Right. And that's less congestion. And so I think, you know, you have to be open to the idea of providing opportunities that would move people around safely and more efficiently than what's happened in the past. And so I'm open to having the conversations, but, you know, if they just show up in, with a bus trying to pull in the bus stop for Muni, um, there's going to be problems. Oh, well, we don't even get to the buses. <laughs> um, I think you should declare a carless San Francisco. Just decide. Well, it. hold on now. Hold on. Hold on. My seniors in, in the Western edition would lose their minds. I get that. But mm -hmm. providing, I, there, there's, I, I just wrote a column in the New York Times saying I'll never own another car. I'll never, uh, I, I'm getting to get rid of my so, car. So let me, let's just talk about right. that. Here's right. the thing. You know, I'm okay with significantly reducing the number of mm -hmm. cars, but I don't think it's fair to say, oh, you know, no one, you know, should, should ever own a car. I mean, mm -hmm. there are people, you know, for various reasons, right. you know, who need cars. And mm -hmm. I, I just think there's a balance to strike. Um, well, and, I didn't think not marrying it with creative solutions to move people around, yes. but that, that it's both, that it's the idea of car ownership is one that is just like the way we didn't have, just the way we moved to mobile phones, the way we moved to all kinds of things. Yeah, but then how do you get someone that you're taking care of that's elderly who could hardly walk? How do right. you get them back and forth like I had to with my grandmother mm -hmm. back and forth to the hospital? Right. Or how do you, you know, some in some cases, you know, with a lot of kids, if you're taking a lot of kids places and you're doing carpool. And I mean, there's just different reasons for, mm -hmm. for different things. And, you know, everyone's not, you know... Uh, a single millennial in San Francisco. Right. You know, we no, have what? we have uh, we have uh, what? What do you say? Well, <laughs> I'm too old to be a millennial. Um, well, maybe I'm not. <laughs> but um, you know, we we have to think about you know as we transition, how do we not leave people behind in the process? So right. it's easy to say you know let's not do this or let's do this. But how do we make sure those people... Well, I was people, thinking self-driving cars and be the, the, at the forefront you, of you all those think, things. I, I keep thinking about my grandmother. You th my grandmother, Miss Brown, would never get in a self-driving Yes, she will. <laughs> yes, she will. She will someday. She will. <laughs> She'll love it. Wait, yeah. well, it's a vertical lift and takeoff vehicles are out for her too, right? Mm. We'll see. We'll all see. Right. <laughs> those are the things they take off from one top of a building yeah. and land in other places. We'll see. And, and, and we're going to have to change. But again, I want to make sure that in the process, um, we're considerate about people who, um, you know, may rely on other things or may be yeah. stubborn or yeah. have other, other challenges. All right. Yes. All right. So questions from the audience? Hi, my name is Alejandro. Um, so I operate a small nonprofit focused on ending the cycle of poverty with uh, high school students. Um, and I was curious to hear your perspective. Uh, if politics weren't an issue, like where would you focus your nonprofit efforts? 
Um, where would I focus my nonprofit efforts? Yeah. It's what I'm doing now with Opportunities for All. So I used to run a nonprofit and I basically took a lot of our money and I paid a lot of our teen, like all of our teenagers, um, because I didn't want, sadly, I didn't want them out there doing things that would land them in juvenile hall. Um, and that was a way to get them more actively engaged. And, and part of what I'm doing with Opportunities for All is making sure that even the kids that you're working with, like we would provide a paid internship where it wouldn't come out of your proceeds um, so that we pay them directly. We work with you directly. So then that way we keep them engaged. We keep them supported. And that's just a step of, of what we're proposing to do. Had n I mean, that is something I'm determined to make sure that we do and build in San Francisco. Yeah, thank you. Okay, back here. Hi, I'm Emily. And um, my question is, so I represent, I guess, tech millennials here. And um, we're many we're things- tired of you, but go ahead. <laughs> no, I listen she's, a, she's a woman. Oh, right, okay, no, we're not. <laughs> we need her. You in front of her? I listen to your podcast every day. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, my thing is we're, we're not complacent is one thing that I think positively we're not. You can ask our managers. We always want to do something next. And so I guess my question is like, we all talk about the things that are going wrong in the city. like in a social setting. And a lot of us do want to do something to help contribute. We don't want to leave it to our, our CEOs to do something. So if I go back to my social settings and, and relay a message like from our mayor, like what would be something you say that we can do on this level of, of this population of tech millennials here in the city who do generally want to make it a better place also? Well, I, I would say one of the things to start with is to make sure you register and you vote and you get more actively engaged in San Francisco outside of the companies that you work for. Um, there are a lot of great nonprofits. And what's the name of your nonprofit? Did you hear what he said he just worked with? He could use board members. He could use people to help raise funds. He could use mentors for his young people who, see, I know, because I had to deal with this. But, you know, like there are great nonprofits that are working with people on these various levels. So getting involved in those boards, mentoring young people, uh, working with various community-based organizations, serving on commissions for the city for things that you might care about. I mean, there's a number of, of various things. I know, I know it's kind of more broad. Odd. Um, but, you know, just depending on what your interest is, is it if, whether it's homeless, whether it's young people that are homeless, whether it's, you know, seniors or what have you, um, pointing you into the right direction means getting actively engaged with the organizations who are on the ground doing the work, who can always use help and support. But it can't just be a volunteer day. Um, it has to be consistent. And so, for example, even if it's every Monday from eight to three, I'm going to do X, Y, Z at this organization. And, and the folks that you serve oftentimes realize they're going to be looking for you every single Monday at that time and the difference that you can make in, in, in someone's life. So I think part of it is just really, you know, more of us um, getting more actively engaged in, in, in the things that we see and the organizations organizations and, and working with the people on the ground. Um, because yes, there's there's money, of course, in terms of helping people, but how do we help people's spirits? How do we help organizations that need, you know, additional support when they are, you know, struggling to um, really keep their organizations going to help that population? So those are the kinds of things that I would say would be be really helpful. Right here. Just a few Hi, more. I'm Terry. 
What are your thoughts about having a navigation center and or shelter beds in every district in the city? Yeah. So I, I think that I'm I'm fine with wherever we could find a location that makes sense um, to have one. And what I have tried to do is identify places where we know that there's a large homeless population. So as a um, former supervisor of District 5, um, we had a building that we um, master leased in the Tenderloin because that's where we were able to find a place. And unfortunately, some of the people from the Haight-Ashbury uh, did not go home. Um, they still stayed in the Haight, even though they had a place. And that was not all of them, but, you know, a few of them, it was it was very challenging. And so um, what I've discovered um, sometimes is, you know, even if we have a place, like we have a, a navigation center for mentally challenged folks at Hummingbird and in San Francisco General, and some of those folks are like, you know, want to go back to where they feel comfortable. Um, so we run into challenges like that. So I think what's most important is identifying a place, period, uh, wherever we can find one, um, but also just knowing and understanding the landscape of that particular population. It's going to be easier to help people if where they are. Thank you. Right. Yes. And they are all concentrated in certain areas. Right here, this young man. Uh, hi, my name is JJ, and I think this is kind of a weird question for a kid to ask. Oh, no. But uh, what are you going to do about gun control in our city and in the Bay Area? Because I see, like, a lot of kids, they have uh, guns, and it's unsafe for them to have them. And I personally, I don't want to get addicted to to them. Wait, so. wait, do you have a gun? No. You shouldn't. <laughs> That's good parenting right well, there. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your question. Yeah, it's and a great I, question. It's, it's not a great weird. question because, and, and I got to tell you, um, sadly, I grew up in a community where there was a lot of gun violence. And this is, you know, I lost so many friends and family members to gun violence in this city. And it is heartbreaking. And you sadly, um, it, it, it really changes a community and it changes who you are as a person. And no kid should have to ever grow up being afraid um, that something might happen, especially when they're at school or, or any place else for that matter. And so a lot of the work that I've done has been more on the community level in terms of providing access to opportunities. Uh, but here in San Francisco, uh, you know, there's been a number of pieces of legislation that have been passed in terms of banning the gun magazines, getting rid of gun shops in San Francisco, banning hollow point bullets. Uh, and most recently, I'm so excited that, you know, the legislation to, um, you know, basically ban the, the gun show at the Cow Palace has finally passed. And um, I think that's that's part of it is, yes, trying to get rid of it and trying to stop places uh, from selling it and having it easily available. Um, but there's also another thing is, is really conversations and education with young people and having mental health support for young people in our school systems as well to identify challenges that might exist that might lead to, you know, that level of activity uh, in the first place. And so um, thank you so much for your question. I think uh, on the local level, we will continue to push for for changes and, and truly, uh, you know, I would love to see us on a national level finally, you know, really uh, get rid of 
you know, guns and, 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 and just pass the kind of policy that will make it difficult for anyone to have access to a weapon of any kind. Which is growing, which is growing 100%. All right, one, one more question right here from the mayor. Oh, one, do you mind doing two? Okay. Hi, Mayor. My name is Brian. I'm a local business owner, small business owner, actually, a block away from here at 16th and Mission. And we talked a lot tonight about making it easier for people to access affordable housing. I'm curious how you think about making it um, a little bit easier to operate a business, especially a small business in this city. Um, you're probably aware that there's a lot of empty storefronts throughout various neighborhoods in this city. Just like on the housing side and the job creation side, there's been a lot of legislation that is really well-meeting, but has had unintended consequences and made it really difficult to hire and support the types of communities that we're often talking about also need housing, um, but they also need jobs and small businesses often provide those jobs. So I'd, I'd love for you to talk a little What's bit about business? that. What's your business? What's your... It's a restaurant called Kitava Kitchen. Yeah, I've had a lot of restaurant people talk to me about this, about oh. this issue, uh, several different restaurant people. And I've noticed in the Castro three restaurants have closed that were there. It's a big issue. And I, yeah, I believe, they were all discussing the difficulties of running a restaurant. I believe restaurant and hospitality accounts for over 50% of the revenue that goes to the city, actually. So while tech is, is huge, we actually right. provide a lot of revenue for the city. So again, London, just really curious to hear how you think about this. Thank you. Um, so I, I think part of what we're proposing um, is to cut back on fees, um, because part of what we do best, sadly, in the city is we'll charge you a fee for your cash register. We'll charge you a fee. Every little thing. I mean, you want to paint a wall, we'll charge you $20. I mean, it's it's really crazy. And so one of the things that we're working on now, and I'm not prepared to um, provide the details on it because I want to make sure that um, we can do as much as possible uh, for small businesses that have, you know, uh, businesses where, you know, you're the single business, the single owner and those kinds of things. Um, proposing reduction or, or removal of certain fees, um, which could help, um, you know, with I'm hoping to get to a few thousand dollars of, of really reduction in fees. And so the D Office of Economic and Workforce Development, they're working on a plan um, uh, for things that we can definitely cut out that are redundant and just really making it difficult for small businesses. Or make the process quicker. Uh, yeah, that, that that is a whole nother ball game. But mm -hmm. yes, um, definitely on that. The the other thing um, that we're investing in um, is our SF Shines program so that uh, we can provide, usually they say loans, but I want to turn them into grants so that we are able to give small businesses that meet a certain criteria, legacy business and, and other businesses so that they could avoid closing, but just ways to um, improve their facades, uh, provide additional cleaning in their area, um, improvements on the interior, and those kinds of things. So uh, we're working to put together, as we especially approach Small Business Week in San Francisco, a way to you know really cut back the expenses of doing business in San Francisco. I know that the other challenge is the um, the there's a little tax that you know get charged the healthy what is it. Yeah, and and that's that's definitely there. There's I'm I'm just going to be honest. There's no support really on the board of supervisors to make, unfortunately, any reforms or changes to that particular tax, which I know has been really challenging, especially if you know if you provide health care and all of those things for your employees. I, I know that that's a a, a complex issue, um, but I do think that we're hoping to within the next couple of months, based on some.
some of our research and, and review of some of these things and, and the impacts, we want to roll out, you know, a number of, of changes to support our small businesses. And they will be reflected in my upcoming budget because as we cut those fees, you know, that means a reduction in the amount of money that we take in as a city. So, um, you know, my, my plan is to make sure that it's going to actually effectively uh, deliver uh, support for small businesses because, um, you know, they are empty storefronts, you know, all over the city. Downtown, as you can see, uh, retail has changed. And, it's and all that's, over the country. That's a, that's a secular trend. It's, it's, it's definitely, you know, all over the country, but it, it's changed. And, 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 but the rent hasn't gone down. Um, and so we also have to hold property owners accountable, which, you know, recently I know that the board passed legislation to help um, address, you know, the challenges with people reporting their empty storefronts, which they're supposed to do by law. But um, I, I think that there are a couple of initiatives that we're going to be coming out with that hopefully will be helpful to to our small business community in San Francisco. Okay, one more question. Right here. Hi, my name is Talia. Thanks uh, to both of you for being here and engaging with us in this conversation. Um, my question for you, Mayor Breed, is uh, uh, about uh, local um, politics and the millennial generation who I think the tech people specifically um, who come here and largely are not here for longer than five to 10 years um, and engaging them in local politics, how you think about doing that? It's really tough because um, you're right. I mean, most of the, the data shows that, you know, folks who come here to work in San Francisco in, in the tech industry, uh, they usually won't register to vote because they're registered at home. Um, and they don't necessarily get involved in, in, in politics um, because they're here to do a job. And, and you don't know if you're going to stay or not or put down roots in San Francisco or what have you. Um, but I do think that it's important um, that you get involved in some capacity. Um, and in politics, it's important because elections have consequences and policies have consequences and bad policies can be devastating. And I just, I've always felt um, like it was one of the things that I had to do no matter what is vote, no matter what. Um, and that was important to me. Um, and I think that part of what, you know, and I'm and I'm a Democrat, and I'm a proud Democrat. Um, but I also think that the Democratic Party um, and and other uh, parties in general need to do a better job with getting people excited about voting again and getting actively engaged in 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 that. Because I used to, I mean, I was very bold. I would go out with my little ironing board with the NAACP and register people to vote, and I was that was my first. Um, kind of interaction with the whole politics and, and elections. And I was in college and, and I loved doing that work. And um, that was really fun for me. And also because I thought it was fun, it was easy to get people to register and get them engaged. And so I think, um, again, technology, not to, you know, say that it's, but people stay, I mean, people don't really talk to each other in the same ways. They're on their phones, on their gadgets. You don't, you don't see that same, all those people out there with iron boards registering people to vote and, and, and the kinds of things that used to occur. Um, but I would just say, get to know the landscape, get to know your 
elected officials, get to know um, your your community and, and the people in your community and your neighborhood organizations. And I think that could be a first step to not only getting more actively engaged, but developing great relationships with, you know, people who who you meet in the process. And and that's really what it's about. It's it's about great relationships coming together and and really you can make magic happen. Um, you can't always do it by yourself. You you have to work with other people in order to really, you know, get great things to happen. And so I think, you know, that's that's something that you can take back is is just really getting involved and, and working together could be really powerful. Yeah, I think you're saying analog. Okay, I have two very quick questions to finish up. One is, you've said that twice, people looking at their devices, people, people staring at them. How do you feel about tech, like as a, as a consumer thing, when you think about that, when you look at, and especially this is the city where it all, or this is the area that it was all invented. Well, well you know, I love it. I mean, I do. I love the fact that, you know, and, and, and before I was, you know, mayor, you know, to get a ride when I wanted one, if I was running late, um, to know when the bus is coming from my little app, um, all those things. So I, I love that. But I also noticed that, you know, it also, you know, really disconnects people from people. Mm -hmm. And so um, part of my, my concern about technology um, is the fact that we don't just have a conversation anymore and we're more kind of... Um, focused on our devices and communicating through our devices. And so it's different when you, you can curse people out on your device and it's not a big deal, right? But if we're sitting here having a conversation, the likelihood that you're going to curse me out is less likely. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I just think, you know, things have changed a lot and technology has changed things. And I'm still struggling with whether or not it's, it's, it's some of the things are great and I love the things, but at the same time, I'm struggling with, you know, just what's happening to the next generation and how are they communicating with, with each other? How are we ever to identify when someone is struggling or in need, a friend? Um, just, you know, those kinds of things are what I'm, I'm really thinking about. Do you know what you can do since you like to yell at litter bugs? Is what I do is I go as people are walking in the streets of San Francisco and they're on their phones like that. Mm -hmm. I get right behind them. I go, look up. Like, <laughs> you do that? Yeah, I do all the time. It's really good. No, like, you put don't. Put it down. Put it down. Like and no way. and the thing is, people are super polite. They're like, "Oh, oh, you're right." Like they don't they don't ever hit me with them. But since you're mayor, oh my god, it would work better. I think no, you should. It, it might, but I don't think I'm gonna yell at anyone. Why don't you ride by on a scooter doing it? <laughs> that that would be hilarious. I give you a perfect way to do this. See, I give you all these opportunities. Um, let me ask. Speaking of which, do you have bigger hopes for bigger office? We just got Gavin. In yeah, the governorship, I, I mean, but. I'm a city girl. I like being in San Francisco. I love being local mm -hmm. um, because even though it may seem challenging, I mean, going to a meeting and getting yelled at, mm -hmm. I still like the human interaction. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like engaging in conversations with people. I like being out in the community. I like walking to the grocery store or getting my nails done. Or right. I, I like being in the city and. Sacramento, places like Sacramento and DC. and DC are very kind of institutional and that's not my style. I mean, I'm a, I'm a San Franciscan and, and I'm not thinking like, oh, this is a stepping stone. You know, I never even thought I'd be here in the first place. And yeah. so I want to take advantage of every opportunity to invest as much time as I can in improving our city because I want to look back on my time as mayor and think, wow, San Francisco has definitely gotten better. 
better. Mm-hmm. That's ha- that's what I want to want to do. So you're not um, going to be one of those 53 people running for president. <laughs> no, I, I I I've already gotten a number of gray hairs since I become mayor. So <laughs> to minimize the number of gray hairs that I'm probably going to get, I, I think I'll, I'll I'll stick to this. All right. <laughs> mayor, I'm gonna do it. Thanks again to San Francisco Mayor London Breed for joining me on stage and to Manny's in San Francisco for hosting us. And thanks to you all for listening. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please tell a friend about this show now. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. Now that you're done with this, go check out our other podcasts, Recode Media and Pivot. You can find those shows wherever you found this one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode, and thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Friday. Tune in then. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right, $25 a month, every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just visible. Switch today at visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see visible.com.